What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the True Crime Society podcast. It is Saturday, June 13th in the USA, and Sunday, June 14th in Australia. Not even 9 a.m. I'm still in my pajamas. (laughs) (laughs) It is like 7 p.m. here. I'm having a drink, so this is what happens when you podcast from different sides of the world. I'm having a drink, but unfortunately not alcoholic yet. <laughs> <laughs> you could start early, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Might need to after this episode. <laughs> <laughs> had a big week. Yep, we had an exciting week on our Facebook page. We had a post go viral. I'm sure you guys have all seen it already, but if you didn't, Olivia was looking for Father's Day gifts on Amazon, (laughs) and she found one of those photo collage blankets that had dad and a heart. And one of the photos in the collage was none other than Chris Watts. Our favorite family annihilator. And I was shocked by the amount of people who don't know who Chris Watts is. I know, and yeah, it was. we put it up on the Facebook page. I had it up and now I've got have to get it up again. For those so. who don't know, Chris Watts murdered his two daughters and his pregnant wife last year and pretended he didn't. Yeah, put them in oil tanks. Um, it was a particularly heinous crime for a father and then for him to be featured on a Father's Day blanket was quite ironic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm just looking at the post. So we, we put it up. And I think we've had it up for about 36 hours now. We've had 2.15 million people reached, 12,000 shares, nearly 3,000 comments. <laughs> so it seems that everyone was as blown away by this as we were. A lot of people thought we Photoshopped the photo because we, the Amazon yeah. seller was pretty quick to change it, I guess, once it came to their attention. But for one, I don't know how to fucking Photoshop a blanket. <laughs> I wish my Photoshop two, skills were that good. Yeah, who has the time? I wouldn't oh, no. think I would think of that. And but- like, even I took um, like screen recordings of the ad because I knew it would be taken down and people were like, no, you definitely Photoshop that. I- <laughs> it's the Amazon page like and a video. I didn't Photoshop it, I guarantee it. <laughs> we didn't Photoshop it. So Yeah, so things have been a little crazy with that. Um, yes. As far as other updates, we did get a message from someone who had the – last chance nope (laughs) who had the last (laughs) text from chance that we mentioned wondering what it was in the episode we did about chance engelbert it was the text between aunt katie and chance i believe yeah Um, and we're wondering what was said you know if there was anything interesting i've got the text up do you want me to read it out yeah so she says to him at i think it's 8 p.m hey i just tried calling you have a question would you call me back And then he responds at 9.08, so just over an hour later, with two texts. The first one says, I'm with an emoji of a, I don't even know what kind of emoji you call that. Yeah, like a, you know, emoji with a straight mouth. So, you know, whatever that is. I'm, and then the next line says (laughs) nothing. It says, like, it's just a jumble of letters. It's, I'm BDS, really, G. So, like, it looks to me like he's trying to say, really, maybe something. I'm really whatever, but it doesn't come out. And then she writes, you are what? Are you okay? And that's it. Mm-hmm. So, I wonder. It's weird. Like, it, it, it's a jumbled text. It's two like, two texts, I'm an emoji, and then a bunch of letters. So, seems like he was, was really drunk, maybe. Yeah, really drunk or, yeah. So we didn't learn a lot from that. I guess we did learn that 
maybe his level of intoxication. Yeah. But nothing else apart from Still that. Still no real answers, though. No. And there hasn't really been any other updates either on that case. So, Yeah. We do have another update about Madison Bell, our favorite. <laughs> she, I was just looking. I think she actually now deleted her Instagram again. We were debating if we should talk about it or not because I don't really want to give her any more airtime because I find her a bit... Um, I don't know what the word is, brattish, <laughs> for lack of a better word. But on her Instagram, her, the first thing on her Instagram is her Venmo cash app link. People so are sending asked, her money, which I think yeah. is ridiculous. And the other thing that was interesting as well is that it came out, she spoke to the media and said that she hasn't spoken to her mother and that basically her mother forced her to be in a relationship with her boyfriend, which, you know, is unusual and if it's true who knows but the other thing is that she's been speaking to this guy whose name is Zach Salmon she's been speaking to him for five years so since she was 13 she's been speaking to this guy and as far as we can tell he is 26 now so at the time five years ago he would have been 21 and talking to a 13 year old so for everyone who's like girl follow your heart you're doing it um (laughs) he was talking to her when she was 13 years old yeah And it's interesting that he waited, or they waited, you know, it's obviously her choice as well, that they waited until she was 18 to do anything about it, which is gross, really. Like, you know, if this has been going on for five years, no matter what, it's not right. Yeah, so don't give them money. Yeah, don't give them money. If you want to donate, donate to like a, I don't know, human trafficking. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) donate to some other legit charity. Don't, if she, she planned this, she could have. You know, she doesn't want to get plan a job. better. Yeah. She, go and get a job. What's she going to do? What's her plan for life just to keep asking for money? If she's going to start this new life with this guy, she needs to sort herself out. Yep. I know that probably won't be a popular opinion because I know there are a lot of people who are donating to her and, like, the comments on her Venmo are, oh, great choice. You go, I just girl. think it's ridiculous because if you think about it, it seems like she was maybe groomed by a pedophile. <laughs> And everyone's like, wow, it's so great that she's made that choice. But did she really make a choice if he's, I don't know, who's, I guess, who's accountable in this case? She could be potentially pretty sheltered since her mom was a little overbearing. She's been dating this one guy forever. So honestly, it wouldn't be shocking to me if he was a pedophile and groomed her since she was 13 and now she ran off to live with him. Yeah. And I know, like, he's not that much older than her. Like, he is. It was still illegal, but... Yeah, like, like it doesn't seem bad now, like 18 and, what, 26, yeah. like, whatever. But a 13-year-old is so young talking to someone who graduated college, basically. Yeah. Like, that's like, gross. How would you even find that attractive or interesting as, no. you know, looking for a partner? And the other thing I know Madison said in the interview, too, that she apparently told her mother that she didn't want to be in the relationship with the ex-boyfriend and that as soon as she was 18, she was going to break up and whatever. I'd also like to know so, more about how she was forced to be in this relationship. Maybe she just meant he was living there, so she felt trapped. But I want to know yeah. if she, what she means by forced. But Yeah. I, I did find it quite sad that she hasn't spoken to her mother. Like, I know her mother's changed her, I think it was her Facebook, just to have a bio like Madison's mom or something like that. So it's sad that if she still hasn't spoken to her mother, she should be adult enough. You know, I guess who are we to judge? But it's a yeah. sad situation all around. I don't think that's the last we'll hear of her. So it might be the <laughs> last we talk about her, though. 
So today we're going to be talking about Lori Vallow and Chad Daybell and the numerous deaths surrounding them, which include Lori's two children, JJ and Tylee. We know we have done this previously, but we're actually going to just re-record it and redo the whole thing. Um, You're probably wondering why we would do that, since it is a very long, confusing story. But a ton of new information has come out, and after doing this for a few months, we feel that we could do a better job telling the story. So we've got yeah, lots of clips and things like that that we can insert into the episode now, which kind of help to tell the story. So we thought we might as well redo it in a more cohesive way. Mm -hmm. And we took down a few of our older episodes that we plan on doing eventually. We've learned. I think we can do them a lot better. So the plan is over the next few months to re-release most of them. Um, you know, obviously the newer ones are still up, the ones that we feel are good. <laughs> probably so the cutoff line up. would be around Kara Kopetsky and Liss would probably yeah. keep those, maybe edit them. If you're new to the podcast, just, yeah, start at Kara or the Long Island Serial Killer. Don't worry <laughs> about the last ones. We'll, we'll do them better and we'll get them out for you guys. Mm-hmm. I think that also the success of the last episode, the Emery and Bailey one, I think that does prove that we are, you know, finding our groove. We tried a few different ways of doing things and I feel like now we've really got into a good, um, yeah, a good groove, a good way that we can tell the story and put it together. So the uh, Bailey and Emery one was our most popular podcast episode. It went crazy where I think we're 74 in the US charts, which we'd never, ever been that high before, which is amazing. And we've had double the amount of downloads that we've had on our other episodes. So you guys really, really like that case, and we really, really appreciate you listening to the episode. Mm-hmm. We're going to try to think of some more yeah. ones that are not similar to that, but it seems like people are liking ones that are mysterious. And maybe a little bit lesser known. Like I know, you know, we covered the, some of the bigger ones, but maybe we'll look into – it's hard to know what to cover because of how much information is actually available to speak about because we can't fill an hour if there's nothing. So. Yeah, but it would be interesting to have a look and see what else we can come up with. Yeah, especially you know a lot of random, small, mysterious deaths. <laughs> That's my favorite type. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to start from the beginning with Chad and Lori. I'm going to talk about it up until around where she gets arrested, and then Olivia is going to take over for the newer information. Yep. We're going to start at the start so you know because there are so many people. We're going to start in know. the 1980s. <laughs> There's so many people and I know it is hard to keep track of but this is all on the blog as well. So if you're like, oh, my gosh, I can't remember who this person is, just get on the blog. It's all on there. We've got, you know, family trees and stuff like that on there too. So I know we'll it's tough. We'll remind you along the way. If you, Yeah, yeah. I remember when we first started looking into this case, it was super overwhelming because you're like, oh my gosh, where do I even start with this? But I feel like what we've done – is we've done it in a um, chronological order, it's the clearest we can make it, I think. Yeah, I think so. I was reading through the notes. I think done a good job. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anything else we want to say? Um, just about the episode, as a, you know, it is going to be long. We don't know how long yet, but it's oh, going to yeah. be long. So what we'll do is we'll put in the show notes chapters. So we'll figure out the best way to break them down. So if you just want to listen to a chunk at a time and not, if you don't have time to listen to the whole thing, that's fine. You can just break it up into chapters and listen to what you want when you want. So don't be overwhelmed. That seems long when you look at the however long it is. Just it's fine. We'll break it down for you so you can listen however you want. 
I did take a poll in our Facebook group yes. this morning and I asked what you guys would prefer if you wanted one long episode with all the details or break it up into two episodes, all the details or to tell a more condensed version. And pretty much everyone said they wanted all the details in one episode. So that's what we're doing. <laughs> And also, so if you're not in the group, make sure you are in getting there, True Crime Society on Facebook, because we do ask a lot of questions about what you guys want to hear in the podcast. So if you want to have a say or let us know what you think, just make sure you're in there because we post a lot about it. Yep. I know this case, a lot of people find it overwhelming because there is so much going on. So hopefully this will help everyone get a better understanding and get up to date. And so you can start following when the next exciting thing happens with it. And one thing I will say, and I know I feel like I'm just repeat this all the time. <laughs> Get on the blog. Like this is one of our best oh, yeah. blogs. It's broken up into two parts just because it's so, so huge. So, and we're also going to break the podcast up in, in that way. So get on the blog. It's updated basically every day now, now that there's stuff happening again in the case. So get on there, check it out. It's got clips, social media, everything. You said that we're not going to go into like a ton of detail about the medical and legal documents, but they're all yeah. on our Facebook page on this. Yeah, we're not going to read out every word of every document. So if you are interested in reading them, you can, they're all on the website in their entirety. So you can get on and check it out if you've got a whole day free. <laughs> <laughs> if you've got a whole weekend. Yeah. Maybe take a week off work. <laughs> I'd do it. A true crime vacation. <laughs> a crimecation. <laughs> Yeah, that's a good one. Have your own crime con at your house. Just read the blog. <laughs> Hashtag crimecation. <laughs> All right. Are you ready? Yep. Story begins when Chad Daybell met Tamara Tammy Douglas in the late 1980s. Told you we we're starting in the 1980s. I didn't lie. <laughs> the couple met while Tammy was in her freshman year at Brigham Young University. They were married when Tammy was 19. On March 9th, the same day that that happened with um, Emery and Bailey. Oh, yes. Your and birthday. also my birthday. <laughs> <laughs> On March 9th, 1990, in Manti, Utah, Chad was 21. After he graduated from college, the family moved to Ogden, Utah. They had five children over the years named Garth, Emma, Seth, Leah, and Mark. Tammy generally stayed at home to raise the kids. She did hold some external jobs on and off over the years, including one as the role of an elementary school teacher. The family moved back to Springville, Utah, where Tammy had been raised from the age of 13. And in 2004, the couple started the Spring Creek Book Company. Online records show that Chad published 27 books, <laughs> all of which were based on religion and the end of the world. No wonder he doesn't have any money for his bond because he's spent all his money publishing his own books. <laughs> his own books. <laughs> Some of the book titles are Evading Babylon, which came out in 2012. I Know the Modern Prophets came out in 2005 and The Renewed Earth in 2011. I'm sure you're all very familiar with those books as they were very popular. <laughs> <laughs> so a blurb from The Renewed Earth, just so you can get a feel of what his writing was like, is as follows. In the final days before the second coming of Christ, a showdown is looming in Jerusalem between the two apostles and the coalition army as the Jews hurry to complete their holy temple. The plagues mentioned in the book of Revelation continue to be poured out of the inhabitants of the world, but many key events such as the resurrection of the righteous dead and the return of the city of Enoch await the saints as they prepare to meet their king and usher in the millennium. 
The Renewed Earth, the fifth and final novel in the Standing in Holy Places series, paints a vivid picture of exciting, prophesized events that still must occur before the second coming. If you have an interest in what awaits the members of the LDS Church, this series should definitely be on your reading list. I had a look to see if there were any that someone else actually published, and I couldn't find that information. So I'm assuming they are all self-published, but... You know, maybe we have one slip through the cracks that someone else actually found interesting. <laughs> one thing I want to add quickly, sorry, and I know you're going to go into it in a minute, but um, I think a lot of Chad's writings came because he apparently had two near-death experiences. One, I think he fell off like a cliff mm-hmm. or something like that, and there was some other one. So, like he saw his grandfather. Yes. Oh, and so that's that, why Chad said that he could see beyond the veil now. Yes, and that's why he thinks that he is this. I don't know, it's not a psychic. I, but said, I remember it said that he has a foot in each world. It says, <laughs> when Chad was 17, he had a near-death experience while cliff jumping. He crossed into another dimension and realized there is a world beyond this one. We found this clip anyway, which, talk, which speaks about Chad and his autobiography about his near-death experiences, which he called Living on the Edge of Heaven. At the beginning of that autobiography is a dedication to his wife, Tammy, who was still alive at the time. My one and only. The book describes marrying Tammy at the Manti Temple and working as a gravedigger at the same cemetery where she would later be buried. He believes their five children will have a role to play in the second coming of Jesus Christ. Just one of his many prophecies about the end of the world. You absolutely have to go follow that up. His books go on to say the world will end with earthquakes and hailstorms, floods and fires. He believes the U.S. government will require humans to receive microchip implants and that the country will be invaded by Chinese and Russian forces with help from the United Nations. He believes that what he is hearing, you know, gives him direction in his life. From Chad, we go on to Lori's background. She was born as Lori Cox, born on June 26, 1973, in San Bernardino. Oh, yeah. (laughs) She'll be celebrating it in jail. Mm. Um, As far as we know, Lori has been married five times during the years. Her first marriage was in 1992 when she was 19. There's no public details of this marriage, so we're not really sure who the husband was or why or when they divorced. Her second marriage was to William Lagoya. Yeah, I think that's how you say it. I would say Lagoya. L-A-G-I-O-I-A. William L. (laughs) (laughs) They got married in 1995, which means her first marriage would have lasted less than three years. And they got divorced in 1996, so short marriage. But they did have one child during this time named Colby. In 2001... Lori married Joseph Ryan for her third marriage. They had one child during their marriage, and that was Tylee Ryan. She was born on September 24th, 2002, and the couple divorced in 2004. Unrelated but interesting, Lori competed in a Miss Texas pageant in 2004. There are some photos of her in that pageant and a bikini modeling. Yeah, beautiful thing, white I guess. long dress. Which is kind of funny, all things considered now. Yeah. In 2006, Lori married her fourth husband, Charles Vallow. She took Tylee and Colby to the marriage with her. In 2014, the couple adopted a son, which we know as Joshua J.J. Vallow. He was originally born to Charles's nephew. 
So JJ's mm-hmm. biological family were unable to raise him, and this is when Charles adopted him. This is when it all kind of gets a little bit confusing because there's <laughs> <laughs> crossing lines and, yeah. I guess essentially JJ is Charles's nephew or But also nephew his or adopted like son. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, it doesn't matter. But, yeah, for me this is when you're like, oh, my gosh, what's going on? Yeah. So JJ, it's been said that he has autism and Laurie and Charles were thought to have the means to help him with that. Um, he's often referred to in the media as Charles' nephew. Yep. So that brings us to April 3rd, 2018. Tylee's father, which is Lori's third husband, Joseph Ryan, died. And he is the first in this string of many deaths. Yeah. So according to the copy of the medical examiner's report, the cause of death was ruled as a heart attack. He was cremated, but little other information is available about his death. We have the copies of the autopsy on our blog if you want to check those out. And court paperwork from 2011 shows that Lori and Joseph had a custody battle over Tylee. Before his death, Joseph told the court Lori would not let him see their daughter, despite their custody agreement. It's also public that during their custody battle, Lori's brother, Alex Cox, remember his name because he's a big player? Yeah. Alex Cox attacked Joseph with a stun gun and threatened to kill him. He was convicted of aggravated assault due to this incident. So that brings us to December 2018. So this was the first time that Lori has been publicly tied to Chad Davo. They were linked on Preparing a People Podcast Network's Time to Warrior Up. They discussed Doomsday and their theories about the end of the world. But since then, the podcast has been very adamant that they have no affiliation with them. There's a statement on the preparing a people website that basically says we have absolutely nothing to do with them. I'm sure I haven't even looked since the next arrest, but they've absolutely cut ties. And I tried to find the podcast to see if I could listen and I can't find it anywhere. So if anyone has a copy or knows where we can listen, send it through because I'd love to hear it. Yeah, me too. Um, February 2019, Charles Val files for divorce from Lori and he applied for sole custody of JJ. In court documents, it's noted that Lori told Charles she is a, quote, translated being who cannot taste death sent by God to lead 144,000 people into the millennium. Good for her. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We have a clip that outlines some of the craziness from those documents. Court documents are now shedding a light into the bizarre final months of the Vow's marriage. Charles petitioning for sole custody of JJ, stating Lori wasn't mentally stable, claiming she had recently become infatuated and at times obsessive about spiritual visions, claiming she was a god assigned to help in Christ's second coming, and that if Charles got in the way of her mission, she would murder him and had an angel there to help her dispose of the body. Kay says she noticed a big change in Lori's character after she became affiliated with an extreme religious group, saying she went from being a doting mom. Big reason why we're so concerned with JJ is because she's, she couldn't handle him anymore. She said she was tired and she just didn't want him anymore. In court paperwork, Charles also claims Lori told him she, quote, did not want anything to do with him or the children. To wrap your brain around all this stuff she's saying, I I can't do it. Charles allegedly filed a petition with Community Bridges Healthcare for a 72-hour hold and evaluation, according to the documents. The police were called to bring Lori in for treatment. 
The, some documents also show that in an email from Enterprise Rent-A-Car to Charles, 2,000 points were transferred out of Charles's reward account. Charles was worried that Lori planned to use the points to leave Arizona with JJ. Charles also claimed that Lori would destroy him financially. Charles's son said, he told me like, oh, Lori took a large sum of money out of our joint bank account and basically just took all his money. Charles reportedly provided his attorney with a list of transactions from the Vallow's business account, claiming that Lori transferred $10,000 into their personal account before moving the money into an unknown account in January 2019. She then allegedly transferred $25,000 from the business account to the joint account and then from the joint account to the same unknown account. The amount of money transferred totaled $35,000. I wonder how they know, sorry to interrupt, I wonder how they know, like it says the same unknown account if it's unknown how do they know it's the same account maybe she had anyway just a thought i'm assuming they figured out what bank it is account bank account yeah, it is by now it can't, it, yeah by now we just haven't heard about it so charles said he asked Lori to return all the money but he claimed she ignored him and when he tried to stop the transfers the bank claimed that Lori was also on the account and the payment couldn't be stopped so during the divorce proceedings Lori disappeared in february 2019 for nearly two months leaving the children with others. Nobody knows where she went or where she stayed during this time. When I read that, it's weird to me she left the children with others. So did Charles just let JJ not be in any contact with him for two months? Like it sounds, that's, a, that's yeah, like, I'd like to know more about that. Did he speak to them? Did he know yeah. where they were? Or was it just like uh, the beginning of what happened most recently of where people are like, well, we haven't seen them for a while, so. Yeah, yeah, maybe. So eventually, for some reason, Charles stopped the divorce proceedings and said he wanted to make their marriage work. Worst decision of his life, yes. <laughs> In June 2019, Lori's niece, Melanie Boudreau, demanded a divorce from her husband, Brandon Boudreau. Brandon claims his then-wife affiliated herself with similar beliefs as her aunt, Lori, and that she had joined a cult. Brandon was shocked at Melanie's demand for a divorce as he thought their marriage was fine. During this time, Charles took Lori off his million-dollar life insurance policy, and he added his sister, who <laughs> is the grandmother of his adopted son, JJ. Another person to remember. <laughs> yep. Kay Woodcock as the sole beneficiary. On June 29th, Charles Vallow became suspicious that Lori was up to no good. Chad Daybell was sent an email from Charles Vallow that he was invited to stay with Lori and Charles, except Charles never sent that email. It was from someone impersonating him. We could guess that was probably Lori. Hmm. So this clip explains a bit more about that communication. And this email obtained by KSL, which Charles allegedly sent on June 29th to his other brother-in-law, Adam Cox. Very suspicious and it draws um, various questions that we would need to ask Lori entirely and possibly Chad and try to get to the bottom of it. In his message to Adam, Charles claims that Lori created an email alias for him and sent a letter the previous day to Chad Daybell, inviting him to visit Arizona to write a book. Charles suspected Lori wrote the letter pretending to be him. The letter says in part, I would gladly fly you down here early next week. You could stay in our guest room like before. I hate to take you away from your family, but I would definitely make it worth your time. With admiration, Charles. Going back to his message to Adam, Charles continues, I'm not sure of the relationship with her and Chad Daybell, but they're up to something. She will not explain it. I'm going to send it to Chad Daybell's wife. Her name is Tammy. I found her email address on their website, too. 
I've got her cell phone number too. <laughs> so shady. <laughs> so we have the um, email on our blog if you want to give it a look. It's very strange. Yeah. So we're now at July 2019, almost a year ago. It's so crazy to me. So just to interject as well, I know I keep everything is crazy to me in this case. This all <laughs> happened not even a year ago. Like this yeah, is just there is so much that's happened in this case. I feel bad you for know. the cops investigating this because there's just yeah. so much and so many people and so much weirdness that yeah, it must be hard for them trying to, to keep, keep it. And like in different states, like Idaho, mm-hmm. Utah, Hawaii, like in Hawaii, <laughs> <laughs> like not even the continental U.S. What a nightmare! All right, so July 11, 2019, Charles Vallow is shot and killed by Alex Cox, which is Lori's brother. Yep. This was less than six months after he started and eventually stopped the divorce proceedings. The shooting happened when Charles arrived at the family home to take JJ to school. It's assumed that the couple were no longer living together, although they were apparently still working on their marriage. Apparently, it wasn't going well. <laughs> The police report states that there was a fight and Tylee went to her room to get a bat. Charles allegedly took the bat from Tylee and attacked Alex. We have the 911 call of Alex Cox calling after he attacked Charles. The call goes on for seven minutes, but we'll just play a part of it. Uh, Both. I'm in police and an ambulance. What's the emergency there? Uh, There's a I got in a fight with my brother-in-law, and I shot him in self-defense. Okay, let me get the medics on the phone. And is he hurt, or is he alive, or...? Yeah, there's blood. He's he's not moving. How long ago did this happen? Uh, a couple of minutes. Fire department, what is the address of the emergency? 5531 South Four Peaks. And is that a house in Chandler? Yes. And your phone number, please? 480-351-9120. And just repeat the address to confirm it. 5531 South Four Peaks. And what is the emergency? Uh, I, I shot my brother-in-law. Okay, what part of his body is injured? Uh, in the chest. I'm sorry, where? In the chest. Okay, is he awake and responsive or unconscious? Unconscious. Is he breathing? I can't tell. Okay, are you wanting? Are you willing to go over to him and check? Sure. Okay, do you just let me know if you see his chest going up and down? How old is he? It's not moving. He's 60. Okay, and are you wanting to start CPR? No, I don't know how to do that. I can walk you through it. You could tell he's just like not into it. <laughs> and like even, most um, people would be like in a panic. He's just like whatever. <laughs> There's also body cam footage of when the police arrive and in the footage you can actually see Charles lying on the ground. The footage is mm-hmm. on the website. It's not super gory. Like you can tell it's just a dead body lying there. But um, they're like, well, why didn't you just walk away? Why didn't you go into a bedroom? And he's like, oh, you know, never thought about it really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's definitely shady. Yeah. Alex was never charged in relation to Charles' death. On the day Charles died, Lori was captured in that body cam footage we were just talking about, and she is laughing and apologizing about her neighbors, and it was just very strange for someone whose husband was just shot and killed. She clearly 
doesn't care. Um, I know in the video that the clips from the police officer was like, you'd think that we just got them their stolen car back. That's how casual, like happy she is. Yeah. And she's just like, oh, you know, yeah, we've only been here three weeks. Haha, <laughs> sorry, neighbors. Yeah. And they had like a pool party or something, but we'll yeah. put in some clips from that here. How long have you lived here? Like three weeks. Oh, geez. Yeah. Okay. That's why the neighbors don't know us. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> like, hi, neighbor. Sorry. Arizona detectives say throughout Lori's interview with police, she wasn't phased. Just, it was kind of like a happy-go-lucky. Um, she was just kind of smiling. She was talking about how Tylee was going to go to uh, BYU, Hawaii, and it was just a very, very nonchalant, you would have thought that we just, you know, recovered their stolen vehicle. So that brings us to 36 hours after Charles died. Lori finally gets around to telling the rest of his family and children that he had passed away via text message. There's a whole bunch of text messages. Do you want me to just read out a little bit? Cause... Yeah, so there's a bunch of messages, but we'll read some to give you guys the main idea of how ridiculous she was. We've got the whole text exchange screenshots on the blog, so you can read the whole thing if you want. But So Friday, July 12 at 4.36 p.m., she texts and says, hi, boys, I have very sad news. Your dad passed away yesterday. <laughs> I'm working on making arrangements and I'll keep you informed with what's going on. I'm still not sure how to handle things. Just want you to know that I love you and so did your dad. <laughs> and then she's adding and removing people from the conversation. So I don't know what's yeah, going on with that. Like, <laughs> um, and then they're like, Laurie, what happened? Where is he? What happened? And she, she writes, I'll call you when I can. And so then they, the son keeps writing all these messages that she doesn't respond to. Like, how's JJ? What funeral home is he at? And finally he says, Laurie, it's been three hours. You're not that busy. I don't care what you're doing. Right. Could you imagine as them just getting a text that your dad died and having no no idea what or why? (laughs) And she wrote three hours later, I'm sorry you are so upset. I'm so upset too. I'm trying (laughs) to get JJ ready for bed. I'm waiting to hear back from the medical examiner to make sense out of all of this myself. Please be patient with me. It's a crushing situation all the way around. I'm still processing what it means for JJ. So she doesn't mention it at all that he was shot. She just says that she's she's waiting for the medical examiner and they keep asking and sending question marks like, you know, I'll let you know when I can. And you'd so think her- in a situation that wasn't shady, you'd be like, oh, my God, like there was a fight. He got shot. I don't know what's happening. It's just not normal. This goes on for days. So finally, July 15, which is three days after she texted, and I think four days after he died, the son has finally had enough. And he says, okay, Laurie, it's been three days. You let us know our father passed away over a text message. Three days and we haven't heard from anyone. It goes on like this is a really long text. And he's like, what happened? When did it happen? How did it happen? Where is he now? Normal question. Yeah. I need to be kept in the loop. This isn't a nonchalant topic. You can just throw a text at and be done. So then she writes up her last thing. These are your dad's wishes. He and I discussed this a lot over the years (laughs) we have been together. My plan is to have him cremated. (laughs) And then all five of you kids go to Hawaii to spread his ashes. He did not want a funeral. You know, this goes on and on. I love you and so does your dad. So, no, this goes on and on and on. Um, And I know that eventually his son Steve asked for Charles's belongings. He had some really nice watches and things like that. And Laurie eventually sent them to him. But what he said is, my dad had a collection of watches, very fancy watches. He wore them, so I thought she was going to send me some of them. The package arrived and inside were two cheap Timex watches you'd find at CVS. Anything was worth money we didn't get. I'm assuming she sold it. 
sad. I think this just speaks to her character. She's so... Smug. Yeah, and disgusting. She was the first smug bitch. Yeah. Smug bitch society. (laughs) (laughs) She was the first of the smug bitch society. (laughs) So just days after he died, Lori called his insurance company and asked about his million-dollar life insurance policy. Red flag. (laughs) Mm -hmm. She was told Charles had changed his beneficiary and that she would not receive any money. After this, Lori sent Kay Woodcock, his sister and the new beneficiary, a message. This is Kay Woodcock saying, she (laughs) said, it was a photo of the change of beneficiary form that she must have gone digging for, Woodcock says. It named me as a sole beneficiary, and she wrote, this is Lori now saying, five kids and no money, and his sister gets everything. I I still wish, I know we said this in the first podcast, but I still wish I'd love to hear that call. Imagine her face when (laughs) the insurance person told her that she wasn't the beneficiary anymore. I would would pay money for that. (laughs) Yeah, I just, (laughs) she was probably not pleased. (laughs) So I think this is a pretty big red flag. Yeah, red flag, I guess. On July 22nd, 2019, Lori sent dog training elite in Phoenix an email about finding a new family for JJ's service dog, Bailey, due to, quote, a change in life circumstances. And the company picked up the dog on August 30th. Took them a month to come get the poor dog. It's sad. From what I've seen online, I think JJ really loved Bailey. And there's another thing we'll talk about with Bailey later, but that's sad. And that was only 10 days after Charles died that she's already putting the plans into motion, it seems. I'd like to know if when they went and got the dog, if JJ was there or what she said. Yeah, I've never ever seen anything. I guess I've never seen anything from the service dog company. I was going to say, I guess they have a bit of a responsibility to not make stuff public. But yeah, yeah, I've never seen anything. Lori moved Tylee and JJ to Rexburg, which is in Idaho, at the end of August. Her niece, Melanie, also moved with them. Melanie Boudreaux, who we spoke about before. Yes, who is also part of the alleged cult. So Lori enrolled JJ into Kennedy Elementary School in Rexburg on September 3rd. The final class he attended there was on September 23rd. Lori unenrolled him and told the principal that she was going to homeschool him. Tally was not enrolled in school in Rexburg as she graduated early. I just want to add something quickly. So the last class he attended was September 23. I've seen that kind of debated. It might have been the 22nd or the 23rd, but that is going to end up being a really important date that we've found out in the last week. So remember that September mm-hmm. 22 or 23, 2019 was his last so, school. Yeah. yeah. So JJ was spotted on a neighbor's ring doorbell camera on September 17th. It's just him running and playing. There's nothing yeah, really. Just you know, him playing in the yard. But it's, just a, it's just a confirmed sighting, I think, is why it's important. Still sad to see because it's probably really the last documented sighting of him. Well, it's the last few days of his life we know now anyway. Yeah. Lori hired a nanny from Care.com on September 18th. The nanny worked for the family for one day, which is September 19th. And this clip from Fox 19 explains some of the things the nanny noticed and conversations she had with them. The nanny says Lori messaged her through the website care.com and she came over to Lori's townhome on September 18th to meet JJ. She explained to me how they recently moved here from Arizona, the nanny said. Her husband had just died of a heart attack and how JJ doesn't quite understand the situation. 
Lori's brother Alex Cox shot and killed Lori's husband Charles Vallow in July before Lori, her brother, and the kids moved to Idaho. The nanny said Lori also told her her daughter also lives in Rexburg and is going to college. She said her daughter doesn't like to babysit JJ without being paid, so she wanted me to work for her. Occasionally, her daughter would come visit for dinner or to do laundry, but she never said that she lived there with them. It appeared only Lori and JJ lived there. The next day, September 19th, the nanny says she came over to watch JJ. She mentioned how if she got home later to give JJ his medicine right before bed because it makes him tired fast. She joked about how she liked that because some days when he was extra tough for her to handle, she would give him his meds and have him go to bed early to give her a break. Then her brother came over and was quiet, just said hello, and then they left. JJ was upset about her leaving. The woman says J.J. eventually went outside to play, like you see him here on a neighbor's doorbell video September 17th, two days prior. She said eventually J.J. had a breakdown, and later Lori came home. When the nanny messaged Lori again the day after J.J. was last seen on September 24th, she responded to me that J.J. was with his grandparents for a month and that she was in Hawaii. She said in about a month when they come back that I could work again. Well, once that month passed, I texted her again around Halloween time asking if I could work. There was no response. Oh, Rexburg police have said they confirmed Tylee never attended BYU-Idaho, which was what they say Lori was claiming to other people. A search warrant revealed that Lori left behind JJ's medication in that Rexburg townhome with pills still in the bottle. They said that medication has not been filled in Idaho. I found it interesting. The one thing I took from the clip is that um, Lori mentions the medication for JJ that she used to give him to tire him out. and. Yeah. Things like that. So that's and that Tylee silly. didn't live there? Yes. She said that, yeah, Tylee didn't live there and didn't want to care for him unless she was paid, which is why they were hiring the nanny. It's weird to me that she ever went into that much detail, more like maybe she was trying to cover all her bases if JJ said something about Tylee. Yeah, seems like she was over-explaining. Yeah. On October 2nd, Brandon, Melanie's husband, Melanie is the niece Melanie Boudreaux, because there are two Melanies in this. There's Melanie Boudreaux and then there's Melanie with an E on the end, Gibbs. But this is Melanie Boudreaux, so Laurie's niece's husband. <laughs> Sorry, I know it's confusing, but Melanie Boudreaux's husband. He said he was shot at and the bullet missed his head by inches. The alleged shooter was driving a Jeep that was registered to Charles Vallow, who was dead. <sighs> Honestly, it's just too insane. It's too crazy. I can't believe I it. I don't have this one on for so long. And just no one did anything. Like all these people are having all these things happen to them. People are dying left, right and centre and no one, nothing happened. I can't wait for this movie. I'll be there. I'll be, I'll be at the premiere of this movie. Even if it's a Lifetime movie, I'll be there. <laughs> Lifetime, please invite us to the premiere. <laughs> On October 9th, Tammy Daybell called 911 and said a masked man had shot her with a paintball gun. She made a Facebook post about the experience and said she had no idea why she would be targeted. So she says, okay, neighbors, something really weird just happened and I want you to know so you can watch out. I had gotten home and parked in our front driveway. As I was getting stuff out of the back seat, a guy wearing a ski mask was suddenly standing by the back of my car with a paintball gun. <laughs> he shot at me several times, although I don't think it was loaded, which 
me, that's a weird aside that's random, shooting someone with an unloaded paintball gun. Anyway. It's just the sound maybe? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, maybe. She keeps going. I yelled for Chad and he ran off around the back of my house. I have no idea what his motive was and he never spoke. Even after I asked him several times what he thought he was doing, I was about to smack him with my freezer meals from enrichment tonight when I decided to yell for Chad instead. She has a good sense of humor, it seems. Like to make that would be scary. Like imagine just getting stuff out of your car and someone approaches you with what looks like a gun, mm-hmm. you know, it shoots at you and nothing happens. Like that would be actually terrifying, but you yeah. know, she's got a sense of humor at the end. And it's also just tough. weird because if it was someone related to like Lori and them trying to kill her, why they have a fucking paintball gun? Yeah. Like why go to all the effort of wearing a ski mask and, you know, approaching someone and then have an unloaded paintball gun? Yeah. It's weird. Maybe it was just a weird thing, but I still can't actually, even with all the stuff that's come out, I can't figure out what the actual point of that was. Like, Maybe they were trying to scare her into leaving. I don't know. Yeah. Who knows? Like two weeks later? Um, no, one week later. One week later? Oh, no, sorry, 10 days. Sorry, I thought it was October. In between, like 10 days later. Yeah, 10 days. Sorry, my bad. Um, October 19th, 2019, Chad's wife of more than 30 years passed away, which is Tammy. Tammy, the paintball Tammy. Yes, paintball Tammy passed away. According to her obituary, she died peacefully in her sleep. She's got a really, really long obituary. It's all on the website if you want to have a look. Um, she sounded like a nice person. Like, you know, I know everyone probably sounds nice in their obituary. but She sounded very wholesome. Yeah. It says, Tevi's true focus throughout her life was her family, from serving a delicious dinner each Sunday to remembering every birthday and holiday with gifts. She loved all sorts of animals, but she especially loved Indian runner ducks. I don't even know what they are. But anyway, what? she liked ducks. <laughs> she also raised pigeons, chickens, cats, and rabbits, knowing each one by name. She loved gardening, oh. cooking, and playing games with her family. Her laugh will be remembered and cherished. I feel like in all of this, Chad's Chad and Tammy's children are kind of the forgotten ones. Like they've lost their mother. We'll talk about what happens to their father later, but it's sad. She had grandkids. Two, mm-hmm. She had three grandkids at the time she died. It's sad that she got caught up in all this. And I'm assuming yeah. she didn't know much about what was going on. Probably so not. it's very sad. Yep. Authorities assumed at the time that Tammy's death was natural and they didn't conduct an autopsy. Jumping ahead in the story a bit in April 2020, the Idaho Attorney General announced that they would take over the investigation to Tammy's death. At the time of her death, Tammy had a $430,000 life insurance policy against her name. Yeah, I think Chad has claimed that. Like, I haven't seen anything about Chad not being able to claim that or it hasn't been paid. As far as I know, everyone's always mentioned that Chad should have had this four hundred thirty dollars cash, basically. So October 25th, Tylee's friends say they received a text from her phone that said, Hi, miss you guys too. Love ya. And that'll be important later in the story. One thing I'll add in about Tylee, like I know we said that JJ was last seen confirmed on 22nd, let's just say the 22nd of September. There hasn't really ever been a confirmed date for Tylee apart, which we'll talk about too, about a trip to Yellowstone that they took, which was in early September. Mm -hmm. Um, But apart from that, early September, there was no other confirmed sighting of Tylee. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting that she's sending texts from her phone on October 25. Very interesting. Mm. So November 5th, 2019, Chad marries Lori Vallow in Hawaii. True love prevails. <laughs> Two weeks after Tammy died. Very suspicious. 
Chad told people over the next few weeks that Lori had no dependent children, and Lori also told people during this time that Tylee had been deceased for years. As far as we can tell, it was just those two at the wedding. There was no one else from their family, like no, you know, no one else. Yeah, they loved. So, and the photos are so cheesy. Yeah, they're <laughs> they're looking into each other's eyes and smiling with their lays on. Oh my gosh, they're so smug and. Ugh. And they're like, anyway. our kids are dead. Our kids are dead. My wife's dead. Let's be free together. Everyone we know is dead. <laughs> it's just us now. <laughs> November 8th, Kay Woodcock, Charles's sister, and the beneficiary. JJ's grandmother. JJ's <laughs> grandmother. <laughs> setting up a printer that she inherited from him after his death. Somehow, when she hooked up the printer to her computer, she came across a bunch of orders that were made on Charles' Amazon account. And they were made after his death. I still don't know how this works. How do you get a printer? Anyway, whatever. Yeah, I don't. I have no idea. I feel like there's no relation. It worked out so well. Like this uncut, like this printer incident, actually opened the door for a lot of things. So it was quite interesting. And printers are very mysterious. So (laughs) anything could happen when you're doing something with a printer. (laughs) So she said in regard to the incident. Quote, I don't know how me connecting his printer had anything to do with that, but somehow it connected. I don't know. After I poked around for a little while, I saw things were being ordered from Amazon, and I thought, well, that's not right, because, you know, he's dead. (laughs) (laughs) It's so ridiculous. Of course, all of the items were shipped to Lori's new home in Rexburg. A single Amazon purchase of a ring less than $40. For a simple online order, there's a lot to unpack here. Lots of questions that it raises. Uh, It certainly doesn't look good for Chad or for um, Lori. Here's why retired FBI senior executive Frank Montoya would say that. A screenshot of the order obtained by East Idaho News shows a Charles Vallow in Rexburg, Idaho, placing the order on October 2nd for a silver and malachite women's ring. We know Charles died in July of 2019, shot and killed by his wife Lori Vallow's brother. We know Lori lived at the address listed on the order. Wedding photos show Lori wearing what appears to be this exact ring when she married Chad Daybell. And we know October 2nd is more than two weeks before Chad's wife, Tammy, mysteriously passed away in her sleep. East Idaho News reports the computer used to order the ring also displayed a search history for wedding dresses the day after the order. By this point, Kay and her husband, Larry, were already having trouble getting a hold of JJ and Tylee. So after seeing Lori's Amazon orders, they requested police to do a welfare check on the children, which would be executed later that month. Kay's husband, Larry, said, quote, It's very interesting, to say the least, and I feel like this is the pivot point which everything broke loose and was tied together. Kay discovered that Lori had purchased a $35 Malachite gemstone ring on October 2nd, and the browser history also showed she searched for beach wedding dresses and white slacks and shirt for her then-soon-to-be husband, Chad. <laughs> Kay said that the last purchase for one of the children from the Amazon account was made in July 2019. President Larry said, quote, one of the things I looked at is not one item being searched for had anything to do with Ty Lee or JJ. Sad. December 2019, the Rexburg Police Department gave a statement about the case. It relates to the happenings in November 2019, so we're including it here. The statement that they gave says, on November 
26, 2019, the RPD attempted to conduct a welfare check on Joshua Vallow, the adopted seven-year-old special needs son of Lori Vallow, at their residence, 565 Pioneer Road in Rexburg. The welfare check was being conducted as extended family outside of Idaho had not been able to speak with Joshua since September and were concerned. Investigators from RPD spoke with Lori Vallow and her new husband, Chad Daybell, who indicated Joshua was staying with a family friend in Arizona. Investigators left but learned later that day that Joshua had not been staying with the friend as indicated by Lori Vallow. On November 27, 2019, RPD executed a search warrant at the locations in Rexburg associated with Lori Vallow in an attempt to locate Joshua. As the search warrants were being executed, investigators determined that Lori Vallow and Chad Daybell had abruptly vacated their residence and left Rexburg. RPD then requested assistance from the FBI in locating Joshua. Further investigation has determined that Lori Vallow and Chad Daybell did not appear to have Joshua with them when they left Rexburg. Investigators also determined Joshua last attended school at Kennedy Elementary in Rexburg on September 23, 2019. Additionally, investigators learned Lori Vallow has a 17-year-old daughter, Tylee Ryan, who was living with Lori Vallow in Rexburg, but also had not been seen since September 2019. Investigators have contacted several members of the children's extended family, but no one has been in contact with the children since September. Additionally, the children have not been reported missing to any law enforcement agency, and attempts to obtain the cooperation of Lori and Chad in locating the children has been unsuccessful. And then it just goes into how you can contact them if any tips. It's interesting that, um, you know, I get that Kay and Larry probably did ask for the check on JJ because he was their grandson. But it's interesting that they didn't include Tylee in that anyway. Like, wouldn't you ever think you'd ring and say, oh, hey, there's two children in this family. I guess maybe they never really even spoke to Tylee. Maybe they just always had contact with her. Maybe they didn't really speak to her much to begin with. might be that. December 1st, Lori and Chad boarded an American Airlines flight. American Airlines flight, not flight. (laughs) (laughs) To Lihu, Hawaii, on the island of Kauai. JJ and Tylee were not on the flight. On December 11th, as the investigation into Tammy Daybell's death went on, her remains were exhumed and an autopsy was performed. This is a clip from Fox 13 that explains more about why the autopsy was delayed. When 49-year-old Tammy Daybell was found dead in her bed last October, the Fremont County Sheriff says family members asked the county coroner not to perform an autopsy. And because her death appeared to be natural at the time, the coroner didn't do one. Under Idaho law, if the death is considered to be from natural causes, the coroner can opt not to do an autopsy. The Fremont County coroner isn't speaking about this case publicly, but Ada County coroner Dottie Owen says that is unusual, unless Tammy was under the care of a physician. What we would do is we would call and speak to the primary care physician, verify that history, review those medical records, and then at that point release that individual so that that primary care physician could sign that death certificate out. At that point, if family had refused an autopsy, we would sit down with this family, explain why we needed to do it, the importance of doing it, um, and then at that point, if we were still met with resistance, we would go ahead and just do it based on jurisdiction. They exhumed Tammy Daybell's body in December and performed an autopsy. Owen says that could complicate the investigation. 
when someone is buried, they are embalmed. And so anything, the, the entire system is flushed. And so anything that you're going to have as far as the toxicology test is, is gone. Um, you know, one thing that we would do internally is we would look for pieces of tissue such as liver, that kind of thing, and then send those off for testing. The problem that you're gonna have is unless we know what we're testing for and we're not looking for just a standard toxicology panel, it's very difficult to identify. It's been at least eight weeks since Tammy Daybell's body was exhumed and still no results. The Fremont County Sheriff said it could take up to one year. Owen says that could be because they don't know what they're looking for. If we don't know what we're looking for, it, the possibility is endless. Um, people can be poisoned with, with rat poison or it can be some form of a fluid for your vehicle. It could be an antifreeze. It could be there's all kinds of things um, that we've seen come forward in talks. We need to, we would need to have a, somewhere to start. I need to know what we're looking for in order to start searching. It's crazy to me in the clip they speak about how when they called 911 and all that and that the family just said, which is not surprising now, I'm guessing the family being Chad, said <laughs> they didn't want an autopsy and so the medical exam was like, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> For yeah. a young woman to just die and I, like I know there's some articles that have come out this week about how her friends thought Tammy's death was weird but when she was found she had pink foam coming from her mouth like I don't know if that's natural like seems natural if that's what happens in a natural death but it's so crazy to me and even the police officer in the clip is like so you just went with that when they said they didn't want an autopsy and the lady's like yeah yeah like I mean I get it when it's like older people and they just kind of die yeah or for someone who has a known illness or something like that yeah but for someone who was seemingly totally healthy and had nothing just to die in their sleep like I wonder what they wrote it off as like a heart attack mm. or yeah, I don't know heart failure. natural causes very vague. Mm. So that brings us to December 12th. Alex Cox, Lori's brother, died also <laughs> in Gilbert, Arizona. He was found unresponsive in the bathroom of a home he was sharing with a woman who he married 12 days before this. You can't make this stuff up. You can't make it up. <laughs> this was literally one day after Tammy was exhumed. Yeah. 25-year-old um, Joseph Lopez found... Alex Cox passed out in a home in Gilbert and called 911. I think this, Joseph is the new wife's son. Oh. Uh, yep. So we have um, the call, so we'll play an excerpt of it here. Yes, that's correct. Okay, what is the emergency? Um, I have uh, a older male here named Alex. He's, uh, he just passed out here on, the, on, my, on my bathroom. Okay, is he awake right now? I think he's passed out. Okay, you think he's unconscious? Yes. Okay, is he breathing normally, like you can see his chest rising and falling? Hello? I hope so. Yeah, basically he's found in the bathroom, I'm pretty sure, and he, uh, like from what I've read, he was found in either feces or vomit, like, but he was still alive as far as... I don't think he died straight away. It seemed like a drug overdose, but apparently it wasn't. Yeah. Anyway, we'll go into that in a minute too. So December 21st, Chad and Lori are officially named as persons of interest by the Rexburg Police Department. Um, they made a post on Facebook asking for the public's help in locating them because they're wanted for questioning in the disappearance of the Vallow children. Also said they were recently married and that she may now be using his last name and also gave descriptions of them. On the 30th, 
Rexburg police issued a second statement that's pretty long. It's on the website if you want to read the whole thing. Yeah, we have the whole thing on our website, but we took out this portion that we found most interesting. It says, since we first received a missing child report on November 26, our number one priority has been finding Joshua and Tylee. We've taken every step available to us, including executing multiple search warrants, interviewing multiple sources, and running down every lead we have found. We strongly believe that Joshua and Tylee's lives are in danger. We're aware that in the weeks after Tammy Daybell's death, Lori Vallow and Chad Daybell told witnesses that Lori's daughter had died a year before the death of her father, which is untrue. Around that time, Chad told another witness that Lori had no minor children. I wonder why they're making up that lie about Tylee anyway. Like, what I feel like they're the just point of very, that story like, be? I don't know the right word. Just very, like... Cocky. Yeah, and just, like, didn't care and just talked out of their ass, basically. Yeah, I guess maybe just come out one day and they run with it. Yeah, just strange. I, like, I feel like they just were one of those people that lie all the time without even really realizing it. Yeah. Because they lie so much. And I think that also, like, I don't, I don't think in that line specific, I think that uh, they believe a lot of their lies as well. Like, I don't think that they believed Tylee di- actually died a year ago, but, you know, I think that they get so entangled in their stories and that they weird, can't like, see religion. what is actually true. Yeah. That brings us to this year, finally. On January 25th, 2020, Hawaii police served Lori with a court order demanding she turn over Tylee and JJ within five days. And that deadline came and went, and of course, nothing happened. So at that point, search warrants were executed, and the condo that Chad and Lori were renting in Kauai Beach Resort was searched along with their rented SUV. Nothing happened to Lori, though, at that point. She wasn't arrested or anything. She was just still free, even though she basically ignored the deadline that they gave her. Yeah, I remember everyone was like, why aren't they arresting her? Yeah, she's just walking around. Like, there's that video of them walking somewhere in Hawaii, like they're hand in hand and all yeah, the media and all that. saw them, like, shopping at the grocery store <laughs> together. <laughs> I'm assuming that they were trying to get more information from them or something. but Yeah, probably just firming it out before they went ahead and did it. So from the search they executed, they took possession of birth records of Tylee and JJ, Tylee's bank card, two iPads, one belonging to JJ, and the other logged into JJ's school programs and JJ's school records. It was learned that Tylee's bank card had been used after the last known sighting of her in September. Police then revealed that there were no signs that the kids had ever been to Hawaii since Chad and Lori arrived. The second bedroom of the rented condo appeared empty with no signs anyone had lived there. I'm assuming that um, the search warrants where they found, like it says, the birth records and all that, they were probably found in Idaho because, you know, they obviously probably didn't. I was just wondering if they took all that stuff to Hawaii to kind of make it seem like they were there. But then that bit where it says there was no sign of them makes me think they found all that back in Idaho. Mm -hmm. In February, police released images of items that were found inside a storage locker that Lori had rented and then abandoned in Rexburg. This footage was obtained by East Idaho News. Inside the unit, you see bikes, scooters, photo albums with pictures of J.J. and Tylee and a backpack with J.J.'s initials. The footage also shows Lori and another man making about 10 trips to and from the unit during the month of October. At one point, you can see the man carrying what appears to be a heavy tote. Lori's last trip to the unit was on November 24th. And as we mentioned, J.J. and Tylee haven't been seen since September... So that brings us to Thursday, February 20th. After failing to produce the children, Lori was finally taken into custody at 2.30 in Princeville, Hawaii. 
She was held at the Kauai Jail in Madison, on a Madison County, Idaho warrant pending extradition. The five charges were two felony counts of desertion of a child and three misdemeanors, which were resisting and obstructing an officer, solicitation of a crime, and contempt. The contempt charge likely stems from Lori ignoring the court order to turn over the children. So I'll have my turn now. <laughs> On Friday, February 21, a Hawaii judge set Lori's bail at $5 million and scheduled her extradition hearing for March 2. Until the day of her hearing, it was thought that she would fight extradition. But, you know, this went back and forth and we won't go into all the detail because it's legal and, you know, not that exciting. But on March 4, she was finally extradited back to Idaho. She had her first hearing there on Friday, March 6. She wore pink handcuffs and red lipstick that I'm fairly sure she made from, wasn't it a Jolly Rancher candy? Was it? I don't know. (laughs) At one hearing, anyway, she makes her own lipstick out of, yeah, Jolly Rancher candy. She heard the charges. Like in jail or like in life? No, no, in jail because I'm guessing she didn't have. No, I know. I wasn't sure if it was just like something she did. No. (laughs) No, as far as I know, just in jail. I'm sure maybe in real life she has a lipstick. (laughs) Um, She wore pink pink handcuffs, which I don't know where she got them, and red lipstick as she heard the charges against her and her attorneys requested a lower lower amount of bail at $10,000 compared to her. (laughs) you know, millions. Reasonable. DA argued that the bail should stay at $5 million and they said she was a flight risk and cited her previous flights. They said when Idaho police made contact regarding her children, she and Chad immediately fled for Hawaii. The bond was reduced but only to $1 million and the stipulations were that if she was able to make bond, she would have to wear an ankle monitor and she would not be able to travel beyond the three neighbouring counties in Idaho. Anyway, she can't make the bond. She's still in jail. On March 13, two of Laurie's attorneys noted that they would be withdrawing from the case. So that left Mark Means as her sole attorney. There was a probable cause affidavit that was released at the time. And in it, it says, Laurie asked a friend, this is the other Melanie, Melanie Gibb, to lie and say that JJ was staying with her in Arizona. Melanie confessed in late November 2019 that JJ was not with her and had not been there for several months. Melanie told police that when Laurie and Chad both asked her to lie for them, she outright refused. It's also emerged since then that in 2019, while both their respective spouses of Charles and Tammy were still alive, Chad sent Laurie an email which detailed the seven missions they have to accomplish (laughs) before the end of the world. According to their beliefs, I think the end of the world is coming in July this year, so we all better get ready. Seems reasonable at this point, honestly. (laughs) It wouldn't surprise me. So the seven missions they had to accomplish together were, number one, translate ancient records. Number two, write the book about the translation process. Number three, identify locations in northeast Arizona for white camps. I don't know. I don't know if white is a race thing or if white is just a color that they use. So I'm not entirely sure what that means. They also use like light and dark. Yeah. So I think white, I don't think it's a race thing. I think it's some other meaning. Number four, presidency of the Church of Firstborn. Number five, help establish the food distribution as the tribulations start and the delegate. Sounds like the Hunger Games. Mm. <laughs> Six, ordain individuals to translation as the camps begin. And seven, the final one, provide supplies to righteous members of the family. So weird. <sighs> they better get, they were going to be busy if they had to do all that. Yeah. Anyway, 
Um, March 2020, the FBI requested assistance from anyone who had been at Yellowstone National Park on September 8, 2019. So remember that date as well. That's going to be um, important in the last week or so that we've found out. Investigators said that the last known image of 17-year-old Tylee Ryan was taken on a family trip to the park that day. The agency also released images of a white Ford pickup truck that the family was believed to be travelling in and they wanted to speak with anyone who saw it. So this clip kind of outlines a bit more about that. Authorities are waiting for the snow at Yellowstone National Park to melt as fears grow that missing teen Tylee might be buried there. Tylee visited the park with her brother JJ and their mom, Lori Daybell, last September 8th. Court papers show that police have located two photos of Tylee taken in the park that day. We have found no witnesses who can verify they have seen Tylee since, the court documents quote one detective on the case. Now, police are reportedly waiting for the snow in Yellowstone to melt as they consider mounting a search for a body. It's a daunting task. The park covers more than 3,000 square miles, nearly three times the size of Rhode Island. It could be like trying to find a needle in a haystack. At this point, they can't do any digging or any intense searching because there is so much snow and the ground is frozen. In March 2020, Brandon Bordreau, who's Melanie Bordreau's ex-husband, filed child custody documents in Arizona. In the documents, he said that Melanie told her current husband, so she's remarried, (laughs) Ian Pulaski, that she had been told, this is quotes, she had been told by Chad and Laurie that her children had been possessed and had become zombies. She shared concerns that she's been told Brandon needed to die and that may indicate that Tylee and JJ needed to die as well. Um, So uh, Ian Pulaski said he tried to keep an open mind about his wife's beliefs in teleportation and dark (laughs) and light portals. (laughs) It says the ideas seemed harmless at first and she sounded pretty certain of some of them. She talked about how she'd learned some of these things in the temple and other from Chad and Laurie. I guess that they believe that your body can get taken over by a zombie or something. Something about a worm or like a slug. <laughs> a slug. I think it was a slug. Their body um, gets taken over by a slug and they need to kill you to set your soul free. Um, with the zombies, it says that they believe human bodies that have had their original spirits forced from them and have been possessed by either a demon, disembodied spirit, or a worm or a slug. <laughs> Spirits can be pushed from their bodies during traumatic events or deadly injury. Spirits pushed out are trapped in limbo as the body they're tied to is still living but cannot be occupied by them anymore. So the deadly injury thing is quite interesting. Maybe that's yeah. why they're going around killing all these people. Yeah, I guess that's the excuse they made for it. <laughs> so around this time is when all the legal documents start to get released. There are tons and tons of them. You know, it's requests for information, who they're requesting information from, banks, airlines, you know, just trying to get everything. So we won't go into detail about them, but the documents are on the blog in their entirety if you want to read them. On April 9, 2020, there was a letter from the Idaho Attorney General and that was made public. The letter said that Laurie and Chad were under investigation for conspiracy, attempted murder and murder. So Chad was still not arrested at this time. Laurie was just in jail, but obviously it started to become clear that they were also looking to get Chad We also heard more information come out about Charles Vallow's life insurance policy. On February 26th, Charles asked Banner Life to investigate his, quotes, soon-to-be ex-wife, 
Lori Vallow, for changing the password to his $1 million life insurance policy. He claimed he did not change the PIN and he told the insurance people he wanted nothing to go to Lori or any member of her family. Charles spoke to someone at Banner Life Insurance and the password was changed on the 20th of February 2019. So this was less than a month after he tried to have Laurie committed to a mental health centre for evaluation. He'd already filed for divorce at that time and had filed a protection order against her too. So in April this year, it also was announced that the autopsy and toxicology reports on Charles, Alex and Tammy and Joseph Ryan (laughs) would not be released to the defence. They were said to be irrelevant to the case of child desertion and that three of the cases, which are Charles, Alex and Tammy, were still under investigation. In April as well, Melanie Boudreau made a post, a social media post about the case. She was not able to see her children because I think of all the, you know, zombie stuff going on. All the murdering zombies. (laughs) So we've got her post on the website again, but I'll just read a little bit. She says things like, I don't know if I could ever top last year's birthday of being able to serve in the temple doing 30 ordinances and then spending the day with my children. I don't have that luxury this year, but I am grateful for so much still. So anyway, she goes on and on. On April 30, Chad had his own legal issues. His attorney, Sean Bartholik, revealed that he was no longer going to be representing Chad. They can't seem to find an attorney that sticks, either of them, Laurie or Chad. Funnily, his new attorney is Mark Means, which is also Laurie's attorney. So they're now sharing the same attorney. Cute. Another death that was related to Laurie Vallow also came out in May this year. We learned that her sister, Stacey Lynn Cox Cope, died at age 31 in 1998. Some online articles I've read say that her death was diabetes related and she was known to have diabetes. Who knows if Laurie was getting into all this stuff back then, but as far as I know, her death really hasn't been connected to the others and I don't think it's under investigation in relation to this case, but it is interesting that one person can have so much death around them. This is one of my favourite parts coming up. (laughs) Okay, so May 1 this year, an email came out that Chad had sent to Laurie, which was on October 30, 2018. So they've known each other for a long time. Like this is, you know, years before what's happening now. So the email just says, here are the family history documents you requested. So it lists their family members. It says, I won't read them all, but Alex Cox is 2L. Laurie is a 4.3L. Her first husband, doesn't say his name, just his first husband, 2L. Um, Tylee Ryan, 4.1D. JJ Vallow, 4.2L. So then it also lists, it says, current numbers on earth at this time of each estate level. These totals represent the light spirits. The dark has equal numbers. So they're super hard to understand. Like you're like, what is, what does any of this mean? But Justin Lum, who's a reporter from Fox 10, he has a really good summary, which I'll read from now so you can kind of get an idea of what it means. He says, the first attachment is some sort of rubric system explaining the estate levels of light and dark spirits. It says most LDS members are level two, bishops and ward leaders are level three. Most state presidents and general authorities are level four, apostles are usually level five, and a few are level six. Document says anyone over 4.1 rarely switches sides, which I'm assuming between dark and light sides. Lori's a 4.3L. <laughs> so she's a very high level. It says her Stacy, who was Lori's sister who died, was rated a 3L. 
Um, Alex Cox was also determined to be light. Um, and it says even Joseph Ryan is a is in the document. He's a dark spirit that was sealed away, according to Chad. Laurie's own daughter is deemed a 4.1D nearly a year before she goes missing. JJ is on the light side, as is Charles Vallow at the time. Um, Brandon Boudreau was on there. He was labelled a dark spirit, while his ex-wife Melanie and the four kids were light. I want to know what light and dark means, like, yeah, in their opinion. It sounds like, to me, dark is a negative thing. I'm assuming that's what it is, like. Maybe that's why Melanie had to divorce Brandon because he ended up being a dark. But like, who's deciding this, Chad? Yeah. Like, what? How do you calculate this? So, Laurie appeared again in court in Idaho on May two for her bond reduction hearing. Again, her request was denied, and her bond is still at one million. She still hasn't made bond. She's still in jail. Um, Kay Woodcock also made an online message at this time. She addressed it to Chad, and in it, she spoke about. I'll read some of the things. She says, Chad, how can you be so cruel to not say, show us if Tylee and JJ are okay and where they are? The anguish of everyone who loves Tylee and JJ is suffering day after day after month. It never ends. It is pure hell. If Laurie has done all this to hurt us, please tell us she has, please tell her she has accomplished her goal. So it's sad. Like I know Kay and Larry, JJ's grandparents have been quite vocal in all this and they've made lots of public pleas and interviews and things like that so it's obvious that they were suffering it's very sad on may 7 justin lum from fox revealed that he had exclusive documents that showed chad believed laurie had lived multiple lives and that they had been married in the past lives he sent an email on july 22 january sorry january 22 2019 and the fbi has all those documents on may 8 the day after that we finally found out how alex cox died. The Maricopa County Medical Examiner released his cause of death and surprisingly it seems to be natural. He died from basically heart disease. Must be from all the stress of murdering everyone <laughs> and trying to murder shooting everyone. So we also got some more body cam footage that was captured prior to Charles's death. In it he says it's gotten really bad lately. She goes to temple every day, speaks to Maroni and Jesus Christ. I'm not quite sure who Maroni is. It's probably ignorant of me but I don't know I don't who it is. Either, so. I'm assuming maybe it's some prophet or something like that. But um, so that he's obviously talking about Laurie. So it says there's 22 minutes of body cam footage at first, which shows. Wait, officers- I looked it up. It's an angel. Oh. Angel oh, Maroney okay. is an angel stated by Joseph Smith to have visited him on numerous occasions. So she's speaking uh, to Jesus and angels. Some yeah, some mm. something from the Book of Mormon. So in the, there's two clips, which they both total over about 30 minutes all up. They show f- officers arriving to the Vallow home on the 31st of January, 2019. So Charles has arrived home and he's found that his belongings have been moved out and that he also had to kick the door in um, to get in. And he asks the police what he can do as his truck is gone. So you can hear that clip here. <sighs> two days. Okay. But she, she's lost her mind. Uh, I, I, I don't know how to say it. We're LDS. She thinks she's a resurrected being and a, and a, a God. And remember the 144,000. She's come. Jesus is coming next year. She took all the money out of her bank account today. My truck is gone from the airport. She went to the airport and got it. I just flew in from Houston, from Dallas. 
It's pretty obvious around this time that Laurie's state of mind isn't very rational. There's a few social media posts from friends of Charles. Um, one of the things, like I'll read some of it because they're quite long and they're on the blog as well, but he says, Laurie fell apart months before anyone knew everything and Charles tried to quietly and respectfully help her. She would tell him she was a res- resurrected being and married to an angel named Moroni and would go to the LDS temple to have sex with him him being the angel. She said she only ate food for the taste. She slowly started worshipping Chad. She left JJ and vanished for weeks. She stole money from him, me, and our company. It says, Laurie was so kind and sweet and gentle to me. You fell in love with her just after five minutes. Charles adored that woman, and now I don't even recognise her. So it's interesting to see her, I guess, decline. Yeah. So May 25, we're at now this year, 2020, it was JJ's eighth birthday. There was lots of social media posts made for him, even Bailey, the cute little service dog. (laughs) It's so cute. It's the dog wearing a little blue bandana. It's happy birthday, JJ, love Bailey, which is sweet. And randomly, well, kind of randomly, Brandon Boudreaux wrote a poem (laughs) for JJ, which is kind of weird. (laughs) Anyway, Rexburg Police also released a letter from JJ's birthday I'll read it out now. It says, good morning. I'd first and foremost like to formally thank each and and every one of you who have reached out to our department over the last seven months and have offered your assistance and help covering the case of JJ entirely. We can't express how appreciative we are for all the officers, the community, family members and news media outlets who have dedicated thousands of hours in the search. We would like everyone to know that today is JJ Vallow's birthday and we continue to continue to hope and pray for the safe return of both these beautiful children. And then it asks, you know, gives you the details if you've got any information. Steph spoke earlier about a case where Brandon, who was Melanie Boudreaux's ex-husband, was shot at by someone who was driving Charles Vallow's Jeep, even though Charles was dead. So this information says, a neighbour tells us on the morning she noticed a Jeep parked across the street. The Jeep had been parked there all morning. It says, when Brandon pulled into his driveway and heard he, and he had been allegedly shot at, the neighbour heard a loud noise. The neighbour remembers seeing the Jeep speed off down the street. So that's interesting. It doesn't, you know, it's not groundbreaking, but it does corroborate that that is actually what happened. Mm-hmm. On June 9, so six days ago, five days ago at the time of recording, the break in this case finally came. Human remains have been found at the home of Chad Daybelt, whose wife, Lori, refuses to say where her two missing children are or even if they are alive. It's a heartbreaking development in a case that has gripped America. Police gave few details in a brief roadside press conference. Investigators and detectives have recovered what's believed to be human remains that are uh, not identified at this time. Uh, there, there is, I, I do want to add that uh, Chad Daybell, uh, who resides at that residence, has also been taken into custody uh, for questioning. 51-year-old Daybell was seen being led away from his home. No charges have been filed. Sadly, human remains were found at Chad Daybell's house. The Rexburg Police issued a statement and they said, the FBI, the Rexburg Police Department, served a search warrant at a resident located in Fremont County in regards to the missing children case involving Tylee and JJ. The address belongs to Chad Daybell. During the search, investigators found what appears to be human remains. Investigators are continuing to pursue the property for any other information that they can find and it just goes on you know to say thank you for the support of 
public. So this is literally all just happening. Um, we know now that the property had been searched once before, which was in January this year. At that raid, which was January 3, they removed 43 items from the home and they combed over several sections of the yard with metal detectors. So in this search now, it seems to me that what they, they were looking in quite a specific area. They mm-hmm. like I've seen photos where they have blue tents up. Like there's a photo here I've got that's three, and I know people have said they've seen five blue tents. So it looks like they picked specific areas to search in. It doesn't seem to me like it was a general search. Mm-hmm. Um, the search warrant was sealed, so we don't actually know what the deal is. And I know they've also since issued a no-fly zone over Chad's house, so you know you can't have drones or helicopters or whatever, um, which is interesting. Yeah, I wonder what's there. And every, I know everyone online has been speculating about why they searched and we'll go into some of the speculation in a minute about if Laurie knew about the search or if she actually tipped them off. And we don't know at this stage of recording, we don't know what it was, but there's lots of speculation. So on that same day, Chad's car was also towed and there's photos of it being guarded by police officers. He went to jail. We've got his mug shot. He doesn't look as smug as he usually does, but... <laughs> He looks defeated. Yeah, a little bit. The next day in court, he seems a little bit more smug again. But, yeah, on the day, (laughs) he definitely seemed defeated. So we were waiting and waiting and waiting. The charges finally came out, and he was charged with destruction or concealment of evidence. You know, as I said, people were speculating if Laurie broke down and gave police information. There is an online comment that I've read, and it says that she didn't know. Like, obviously, we don't know. This is just a rumour, but I thought I'd bring it up. But it says that when she found out, she was screaming, ranting and raving, tearing up the pod, tearing up her cell, breaking stuff, cursing and hitting cellmates. All I was told that was Laurie found out about the search warrant and Chad being brought in. She did not take the news well. Was she supposed to be upset that her kids were dead, like she didn't know they were dead, or upset that they got caught? I suspect she was upset that they got caught. Yeah. <laughs> Um, you know, if it's true, we don't know, but could be. There's also some photos I know online um, of what, and I think they were taken from either a drone or they're from the air anyway, and it's of a woman wearing a, a blonde woman wearing a hat, and it does look like in a photo that she may be handcuffed. Um, She's kind of hunched over a little bit. Like it doesn't look like a natural stance. So I know people online are speculating that it was actually Laurie who was taken to the site. Again, we have no proof. I don't think it's her. I know other people have found photos and I suspect it's probably an FBI agent who was there who kind of has a resemblance to Laurie. So I don't think I don't think it was her, but I guess anything's possible based yeah. on the little that we do know. I just don't see her cooperating, so. No, I, I can't see now after all this time why she would start to cooperate. I suspect it would be more likely to me that that first scenario of her being crazy when she found out that would be more likely to me. Yeah. So there was a lot of speculation on the day and um, I know in the press conference they did, they said that they were going to carry out an autopsy, but it quickly emerged that there were actually two sets of human remains found at Chad's house and that sadly both of the remains belonged to children. Tylee's aunt confirmed online quite quickly that JJ was one of the victims. She wrote, Rest in peace, little man. Thanks for the drive-by hug and laughs. I'm sorry your short little life was marked with so much chaos, trauma, and heartbreak. I hope you're safe in your daddy's arms. So daddy is Charles. And then very quickly after, it was also confirmed that Tylee was the second victim 
We were all speculating when we thought there may only be one that maybe Tylee had passed away in Yellowstone National Park that they'd pushed her off a cliff for maybe, you know, because she was a bit bigger. She was a teenager. So obviously not, you know, they were both there together, which is very sad. Mm-hmm. On June 10th, the day after, Chad appeared in court via Zoom from the Fremont County Jail wearing a black and white jumpsuit. Well, there was nobody, not even Chad Daybell, allowed inside the courtroom due to COVID-19 precautions. Instead, he sat next door in the jail with his third defense attorney of the year by his side. They asked him if he understood his rights. He said yes. And then they talked about his bail because the charges he's facing so far only carry a minor sentence compared to something a little bit more violent. His defense attorney argued for $50,000. Instead, it was set at a million. As prosecutors confirmed, the human remains found in Chad Daybell's yard belonged to two children. Shortly after that hearing, family members confirmed those are the remains of who we have been looking for for nine months. They have finally found JJ and Tylee. Your Honor, we, again, we, we understand that the, the possible sentence on this case is not that long, uh, but knowing Knowing what the subject matter is, we, we find it extremely serious. Um, clearly, this is the beginning now of an investigation into the deaths of children uh, who are found on his property. That $1 million bond is the same amount Lori Vallow has been struggling to post as she sits about 12 miles away at the Madison County Jail. Another topic that came up today is how Chad Daybell was arrested. Police served the search warrant at 7 a.m. They arrested him at about 11.30 as he was driving away. Our witnesses say it looked like he was driving fast. His defense attorney says Chad Daybell was not trying to get away. When the police showed up at his house last night, Mr. Daybell didn't flee. Mr. Daybell didn't abscond. Mr. Daybell didn't run. Mr. Daybell's intention was, through his counsel, to, to turn himself into the court if that was something that was going to happen and, and address these issues. The Woodcock and Ryan family issued a statement. Again, this, all this, there's a lot of statements coming out from all the different sides of the family. So I'll just read a little bit from each one. It says, we are filled with unfathomable sadness that these two bright stars were stolen from us and we only hope they died without pain or suffering. Chad's brother, Matt Daybell, also made a statement. Um, On behalf of myself, we would like to, you know, and he lists everyone, we express our most sincere sympathies to Larry and Kay and to JJ and Tylee's entire family. We are devastated by today's news and the apparent role that Chad has played in what has transpired. As as such, we ask for patience and compassion for the situation and for our extended family as we cope with the horrific events that have come to light. The last statement on that day came from the Cox side of the family. It was a joint statement and it also included Melanie. So it's Janice and Barry, Summer, Melanie and Ian. We are deeply saddened by the recent findings into the whereabouts of JJ and Tylee. Their love, so obviously this is written on behalf of them. Mm-hmm. Their love for them knows no bounds. The family has maintained a strong hope and belief that they are alive and well. So this goes on and on. One interesting thing about the Cox family statement is that the date on it was May 8, 2020. They had it ready. Yeah, well, so everyone's like, what do they know? You know, do they know they were going to be found? I suspect it's just a fuck up where someone's used a template and hasn't changed the date. But it is interesting that, yeah, maybe they did have it ready to go and just didn't change the date. Also, Melanie can fuck off. She knew what happened. <laughs> I know, Melanie. <laughs> That's why when that, when that statement came out, I was like, oh, too little, too like, late. Okay, Melanie. Melanie. I think Melanie knew quite a lot more. Mm-hmm. 
Anyway, so one interesting thing that we did learn quite quickly was that it seems that Tylee and JJ didn't die at the same time. Um, it says in it, two charges were filed against Daybell on Wednesday morning. The charges involved the concealment of human remains. And then it goes, the concealment incidents were reported to have happened on September 8 and September 22. So I'm assuming based on that, that Tylee either died or was buried and whatever the concealment involves on September 8, which is interesting because that is the last day that she was also seen at Yellowstone. Mm-hmm. So maybe they took the trip to Yellowstone as a bit of a alibi, like she was fine, you know, we were here on that date and then they did whatever they did to her on that day when they got home. Yeah. And that the other date was September 22, which seems to be the last day that JJ was seen at school. I don't know why, what happened, you know, some people have speculated that maybe JJ was asked, they weren't intending to kill JJ, that he was never going to be killed, but that maybe he started asking too many questions about Tylee, which is why they decided to kill him later. Or maybe, I don't know, it might have had some significant date thing for them. Who knows? We don't know. I feel like it's always their plan to get rid of both of them because... Me too. I just don't know why they wouldn't have done it at the same time. Yeah. She got rid of his service dog and... She made comments about how he was a lot for her to handle or something. And and she pulled him out of school. I guess she pulled him out of school, though, on the day that he died. So, yeah, yeah. I feel like they just wanted to run off to Hawaii and live their weird life together. It wouldn't him. surprise me if it was like they planned those dates for some you know, light higher reason. Like, yeah, like dark and light needed to die on these dates or I don't know. And, you know, hopefully we'll find out more about that. But. It does seem that there was a few weeks gap between when both the kids died. We mentioned before that Tylee allegedly sent, mm-hmm. but she clearly didn't. Yeah, I forgot about that, that was in October. She'd been dead for six weeks by that time. So I'm guessing that was Laurie or Chad. Seems weird that, like, I, I still wonder what their plan was going to be if, if they're still pretending to people that Tylee was alive. Like, they're telling some people she died a year before, and then but then to her friends, they're still pretending she's alive. What what was their end game plan? Yeah, I'm very curious about how they died and what Laurie and Chad's reasoning was. I'm assuming we'll find out eventually, but from everything that's happened so far, it seems like it'll be something ridiculous. One thing I do find interesting about Chad's charges is that the state prosecutor said that the remains on the property were of two children and that one of the bodies was concealed in a particularly egregious way. So um, egregious basically means horrible, terrible, outstandingly bad and shocking is the actual correct definition. That really makes me wonder. Like some people are saying that they burn the bodies, but would they, I mean, I guess that's shocking, but that's not really that shocking. And well, it maybe I also think why were there five up to five tenths that they were got, you know, digging under? Did he dismember them? Is that what the definition is? Which is absolutely terrible and shocking, I know. But yeah. Um, oh my God. Well, if it's like human sacrifice. Yeah. Well, maybe that's what it could mean. Wouldn't put it past them. Um, Chad's property has been turned over to his family, which I also find is quite interesting that they've already turned it over to the family. You would think that maybe they would spend longer. Like it hasn't even been a week, but uh, they've been spotted moving furniture out. Um, and I found a really sad clip where Larry and Kay Woodcock, who are JJ's grandparents, visit the property because they wanted to see where JJ was discovered. So this is Larry talking about the visit, which is actually really heartbreaking. 
Um, and I know at the end of the clip he refers to JJ as his little man, which is sad. I'm not coming in hostility in any way. I come with trying to be the peacemaker. And that's all I want. I just want to be a peacemaker. I want, let's all get along here. That's to see where, where JJ was. And, and, and to say, if I, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I feel bad for them. They seemed to care a lot about JJ. And-, and I know people are like, you know, if they cared so much, why didn't they have custody of JJ? But Laurie and Charles were quite affluent. Like they had a lot of means to give JJ support. And I guess also he they was they were still family. Like it's not like they were just adopting him out to anyone. I think I really feel like they were doing at the time what they thought was in JJ's best interests. And it just turned out that it didn't work out that way. So we also found out a little bit more information about possibly why police searched now and what happened. So one of Chad's neighbours, Matthew Price, according to Fox 19, said he was watching out his windows from his yard as law enforcement spent two days digging at the property. He recognised the area where investigators brought in a backhoe to dig and where it appears they recovered the children's remains. He said... We noticed they were having a few bonfires that were kind of out of the ordinary. They had a big bonfire last fall and they had two or three big bonfires this spring. And he also spoke a bit more to the media about the day that Chad was arrested. He said he saw a convoy of law enforcement coming down the road to serve a search warrant. They surrounded the home, he said, and made all of Chad's adult children leave the house. So it's surprising to me. I wonder if they were always lived there just to butt in in between the info or if like... I wonder yeah. if surely they would have had to know what was going on if your dad was outside digging a massive hole. So it said Chad also left the house, but he didn't go anywhere. He sat in his car for hours. Then all of a sudden, Chad tried to drive away. Matthew Price, the neighbor, said, I saw his car take off down the road headed south towards Rexburg. Just seconds later, the marked police cars had their lights and sirens and floored it to go catch him. So it's interesting to me that Chad sat in his car for hours. How That just seems weird to me. If that's if that is actually what happened, imagine being his neighbor. Yeah, I know. Imagine, I'd always be looking out my window. It's so weird to me too that if surely the neighbor surely knew who who Chad was. So if you see this guy having big weird bonfires, why would you wait till now to call the police? <laughs> I know that they've speculated that they couldn't search before now because the ground was too frozen. So maybe that is why. I don't you know. I don't know when he called the police. Maybe he did call them ages ago, and it's all just coming out now. Yeah. I did find one interesting Facebook post online, which basically (laughs) summarizes the whole case in a few lines because (laughs) I won't say the person's name just in case she doesn't want it out there, but it says, imagine burying the body of your mistress's child on your own property, telling your soon-to-be dead wife it was a raccoon, which is apparently what he told Tammy, and then casually going to church each week after, talking calmly about the gospel while planning your honeymoon, sealing to your secret spiritual plural wife, because it looks like this is what Chad Daybell did. It's crazy. <laughs> it's pretty true. That just, like, proves how wild the whole thing is in and, a short sense. Yeah, and that it's just still, still so wild to me that nobody... Did you really on. tell her it was a raccoon? I think so. I've read that somewhere, so... It's so fucked up. So after all this was happening, Tammy Daybell's family also released a statement. 
Um, it says, you know, their prayers are with the family of Tylee and JJ. And then it says, as matters move through the judicial process, we pray that each of our families can be strengthened and trust that justice will be swift, swiftly served. We ask for privacy, all the usual stuff. So the last update. So today is the 13th in America. So we have an update from today. And not surprisingly, the Rexburg police have actually formally confirmed that the remains found belong to Tylee and JJ. So they've released a statement that says, the remains were taken to the medical examiner's office where an autopsy and positive identification was performed. It is with heavy hearts that we now confirm that those remains have been officially identified as those of JJ Vallow and Tylee Ryan. Right, because before it was only family that had said yeah. it. So. And like, you know, I'm sure everyone kind of knew. There was speculation like, oh my God, imagine if there's all these other people who are dead and we don't know. <laughs> I but, wouldn't be spread. So they've said the investigation is still active and ongoing. And the last real set in stone update is that Chad's preliminary hearing has been set for July 1 and July 2. Mm-hmm. So that is where we're at totally up to date as of today obviously you know things are going to keep happening so we will keep updating the blog and maybe we might do an update episode in a few months once or if they're just small episodes we'll just say them yeah small little beginning of the episode so it will be interesting to see what happens now and I know one other thing too that I quickly want to add in is that Laurie's attorney has filed to find out um, information about the discovery of the remains so whether or not they'll grant that is another thing but if she, maybe they're just fishing to see what they did find so that they know, can get a story together about what to say. But it's, I found that interesting that they're asking for information about it. So that is it, I think, for the actual news of the case. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know if I even have any more theories about what happened. <laughs> Me neither. Anything could have happened. I do think he probably did burn the bodies and I also wouldn't be surprised if he dismembered them yeah he seems just like fucked up I did I yeah I don't know like I was going to say they released this the statement about it being egregious before they did the autopsy so it seems to me like it was pretty clear that whatever he'd done was or they'd done was terrible they obviously just didn't dig up an intact body you know or as intact as it can be after being buried yeah, especially since there were several tents. I wonder what else they were digging up. Yeah, I wonder if they found anything else. Like, I know it's going to be tight-lipped. Obviously, they're going to get the cases together for the trial. Yeah. Hopefully, Justin, what's his name, Justin Lum? Justin Lum is one, and Nate Eaton is another good reporter, but Justin is my personal favourite. <laughs> He's always on the case. <laughs> He's, I, I don't even know if he ever sleeps, that guy. He just releases update after update. So if you are looking for, you know, absolute breaking news check check out justin lum post all his stuff in our group as well so he is absolutely across the case all right i guess that's that's it don't have much else to say out here because there's just like so much <laughs> what else is there really to say they're terrible people <laughs> yeah case closed <laughs> i know this week was supposed to be about holly bobo but with all the news surrounding this we decided that we would just do an update and redo this one because a lot of people are interested in it i feel like we've done our cover coverage i know we're not a newspaper but our coverage (laughs) of this case has been really good and nikki i know has also we've always wondered why are people into this case it's so fascinating but i think now more and more people like this week we've had so many people join just for this case so i think it's important for us to do this podcast because 
I feel like we've done a, you know, half decent job of compiling all the information. In and the if you're just jumping into it now, it is a lot of information. It's really hard to not feel yeah. overwhelmed. And so we went with the chronological way of kind of organizing it because that way, to me anyway, it makes the most sense. So you can get a background and all that. So hopefully it will help the majority of people who haven't followed it since the beginning, like Olivia and Nikki. <laughs> so remember, you can check us out everywhere. Just look for True Crime Society, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. And all the documents, pictures, social media posts, oh, yeah. you can find them all on our website. TrueCrimeSociety.com. And if you like the podcast, please give us a nice review and subscribe and tell your friends to listen. <laughs> <laughs> tell everyone. Oh, do we have a new tagline? I think we do. Kelly came up with a great new tagline. Kelly came up with a fabulous new tagline. <laughs> we thought, while we're revamping the podcast, let's just go the whole hog and get a new tag. <laughs> so now it is until next crime. <laughs> I like it. I like it too. My mom also liked it. And shout out to my mom because my mom loves the Lori Vallow case <laughs> and Lazzie's mom. Uh, yeah, Lazzie's mom in the Czech Republic. <laughs> shout out to all the moms. This is a big mom case. My mom wouldn't even know how to listen to a podcast. So, so anyways, until next crime. See you soon. Bye.